Earthlings. You have discovered the podcast Why Are UFOs Top Secret with expert Bob Bria. Evening, ladies and gentlemen. How you doing, Bob? I'm doing pretty good tonight. I feel uh, feel he- healthy. <laughs> yeah, I, I've got allergy issues with the pollen. You know. Yeah, I know it's the change of the season. Yeah, uh, or it could be an alien virus that I caught. I'm not oh, sure. Oh, please don't bleep that. Bring that up again. <laughs> I hate those alien viruses. It's good to see you, though. I didn't I didn't know whether I should hug you or slap you across the face. You know, I yeah, wasn't please. sure how to greet you. In this day and age. Oh, that was a, a little ode to the uh, Oscars, I guess. Oscar Hammerstein, are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, it was a Hammerstein, all right, right across the Kissa. <laughs> yeah, well, Hollywood's uh, got a lot to, uh, you know, be well, thankful for because that, that raised the ratings on the, the show. You know, and uh, everybody's been talking about it for the last few Will, days. Will Smith is an actor, but he also he did a, a great job in one of our favorite movies. Mm-hmm. About the men in black. Yeah, you sure did. <laughs> Which brings us right to our topic tonight. Let's have it. Tonight we're going to talk about a fellow who uh, I've mentioned before, but uh, I've done a little bit more digging into his uh, background. And uh, because of his um, affiliation with the uh, the group that I always mention, the Majestic 12 group, um, this man had a, uh, a very big position in the government and uh because of his position in the government uh they uh authorized an aircraft carrier to be named after him and this was uh one of the biggest uh aircraft carriers we have uh it was called a super carrier and uh it was called the uss forestal as far as i know that's not an everyday event, right? Yeah, not everybody has a uh, aircraft carrier named after them. It's uh, a pretty significant uh, thing for somebody to have uh, named after them. And uh, Will Smith doesn't have that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think he's got a pretty big boat, though, almost like an aircraft carrier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and Mister Forrestal was uh, central to the formation of the. Uh, the group called Majestic 12 through the letter authorized by uh, Harry Truman in September 24th, 1947. Uh, it authorized Forrestal to uh, create a group of highly, uh, highly uh, important people in the government. And uh, Dr. Vannevar Bush was one of the people that uh, James Forrestal worked with to create this group. And uh, this group consisted of the cream of the crop to uh, to discover uh, what to do about this uh, recovery operation in New Mexico. And uh, I can I can uh, certain uh, uh, I can excuse me I can I can say without 
doubt that James Forrestal's position on this group was very significant because he was the formulator of the National Security Act in 1947, and this uh, group uh, formed a lot of what they call alphabet uh, agencies, such as the NRA, the CIA, and a lot of other NSA. agencies. Yeah, there's a lot of agencies with uh, three or four initials, five initials. And um, these, these uh, alphabet uh, agencies, uh, what eventually led to what we call today a deep state. And this deep state, invisible government, shadow government, whatever you want to call it, has a, has a direct power over policies for the United States government. And the, uh, the power that this Majestic 12 group uh, seems to have had and still has power over our government and uh, the creation of this uh, group and the formation of this uh, power that, that, that it was given to them uh, took precedent over um, the you Constitution. Like a brain trust, I guess. Yeah, it was something that was uh, totally uh, not expected. I mean, although the objects were uh, in observation during the war, uh, until one crashed, uh, the results of that crash gave the U.S. government the opportunity to look closely at this uh, discovery, this uh, technology and uh it created a tremendous pressure on all of these people in the government and it took a lot of pressure on mr forrestal the other people in the group were apparently able to uh retain their uh um, position of uh calmness and handling the uh the awareness that uh this subject actually is real, and uh, well, and there's no doubt about his him being the, one of the big shots of this whole thing. He was the Secretary of Defense, which was a pretty newly formed position. He was he the, was first, the one. first one, yeah, created by Truman. All of these new things that happened around that time, hey? Eh? Any any one of you can check out James Forrestal's background. Um, it's quite impressive. Um, and uh, there's two versions. What I what I see in his uh, descriptions of his uh, career, you can get the uh, what I call the White House version, and then you can get the conspiracy version. <laughs> and they're listed in the uh, when you go online and you bring up James Forrestal's name, you'll get this whole accumulation of uh, uh, his background. And uh, when you read both. Uh, versions of his background you get the impression that uh, he he was aware he was aware of certain information that drove him a little bonkers and i'm sure it's this uh this ufo situation that that he had a hard time dealing with because when you look at the information surrounding his uh demise it, it all seemed to occur right after 
he was commissioned to start this group and be in total control of the, uh, what do you call the uh, analysis. His listing on the group was third, which puts him up in the top of the clearance uh, category because as the, as uh, I, I've been informed over the years by investigators who have looked at the the uh, the succession of the the clearance level, the guy on the top had the highest clearance level. Mm-hmm. He's the one that created this uh, uh, briefing document for Eisenhower, and had the highest. The well, second there was a couple of gen- The second one was the highest mm-hmm. because he was in charge of the Manhattan Project during research and development. And uh, Forrestal being appointed has the asterisk next to his last name, which, yeah. which points to his demise uh, on 19, in 1949. So shortly, within a short period of time, it, he fell apart. And this is kind of unusual so for a man. Say. So they say. So when so you, you when go you, from, what, from, from having an aircraft carrier named after you to falling apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a with a tremendous amount of responsibility. I mean, he was a uh, the battle groups in in the uh, navy was uh, part of his responsibility. I mean, uh, you're not talking about a small responsibility, large responsibility. That's why I guess the uh, the importance of naming an an aircraft carrier after him uh, just pointed to that importance of his uh his position within the government i mean on the mj12 uh document itself operations of the project are carried out under control of the majestic 12 group which was established by special classified executive order of president truman on 24th of september 1947 upon recommendation by Dr. Vannevar Bush and Secretary James Forrestal. Mm-hmm. Quite amazing. The uh, it's kind of nice when you can advise a president to do something like that. Yeah, I, I uh, I'm amazed at the uh, the connection that uh, John F. Kennedy had with Forrestal, and that's another story that that has to be told. The, um, the early days of John F. Kennedy and his association with Forrestal go back to the, the end of the war. And uh, he accompanied James Forrestal to Germany to uh, assess the damage done by the, uh, the Nazis. And um, during the time that... Uh, John F. Kennedy spent with Forrestal. Uh, Forrestal was uh, also friendly with the father, Joe Kennedy. Joe Kennedy was a big person back in the uh, the forties. Mm-hmm. He was USS. Uh, he was U.S. ambassador to the United Kingdom, and uh, as we all know, I mean, the Kennedy family has. Uh, been uh, a dynasty in uh, both political and uh, private, uh, you know, circles. And uh, John F. Kennedy uh, was a military uh, naval officer, and uh, he got intel. He got work in the intelligence uh, departments, 
So he was cleared. He had a clearance level. He was also being pushed by his father to enter deeper into the uh, the political arena, and he wanted his son to become president. And as we know, there was another brother that hmm. Kennedy had that was, uh, I think he, he died. Hmm. And uh, there were, I think there were five brothers. There was Bobby Kennedy, John Kennedy, and the other brother, I, I forget his name right now, but uh, there was uh, another brother that was uh, early into the political uh, um rise of uh you know rising to the the highest position but uh, john kennedy seemed to uh fit the uh, position because of his interest and his uh his different jobs that he had he was a journalist he you know he was he was collecting information as a uh, a young you know politician and uh you know it, because of his father's uh connection see he was able to gain access to areas uh, within the the upper parts of the government that uh you know would wind up leading to his entering uh the presidential race and uh apparently from information and books i've read over the years uh kennedy had been made aware of the roswell recovery uh, through conversations with uh Forrestal. And uh, this may have led to uh, a problem because once the uh, information was let out of the circle of 12, it became a uh, national security problem. And uh, Kennedy didn't like secrecy. And uh, as history has shown, has, he has made speeches on this uh, problem of uh, secrecy and one of the speeches he gave at the waldorf astoria in, back in the uh, early days in the 60 i think it was 1960 or 61 just before he was killed um he mentions the uh, secrecy uh, how destructive it is to the uh, to the government in the united states of america and uh without revealing anything classified he implied that the secrecy would destroy the uh, the country and uh, this was also alluded to by the his preceding uh, the preceding president which was Dwight Eisenhower who was briefed on this uh, recovery at Roswell and uh, this was his his election took place in 52 so uh, i mean he he knew because of his level of uh, in the government he knew of the uh these objects being spotted and seen and uh once he uh was briefed on this uh uh majestic 12 uh, briefing document it became uh evident to him that uh <laughs> something was uh not being told to the to the public and between eisenhower and uh, kennedy they both seemed to and also forrestal james forrestal three of them 
wanted to share this information well, with the American died. public. I mean, and Eisenhower had a, a brain aneurysm or something. Like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting how dead men don't tell any <laughs> tales. Yeah. The other angle of this uh, well, amazing uh, conspiracy, uh, I call it a conspiracy uh, angle to the UFO story, uh, which includes people like John F. Kennedy. How does his name get tied into this UFO story? Besides being cleared and having ways to find out when you're curious, uh, he became uh, obsessed with uh, trying to get more and more information, which was not permitted for him to find out. And he thought that once he became president, he would be able to break up the CIA and its uh, control over this information. And the more he uh, tried to do this, he was uh, shut down. He wanted to share the uh, knowledge of space uh, with the Russians, and uh, he made uh, arrangements to speak with uh, the Russian leaders about uh, joining in the space race to go to the moon. And that was because? That was because they uh, he had uh, had been told or been briefed on this uh, information that's been uh, circulating in this uh, UFO story over the years that uh, there were articles found on the moon and uh, there was information that uh, the moon had uh, been visited by these creatures and uh, the, that this information was uh, speculative so he, Kennedy wanted more and more knowledge about it. And he may have uh, had uh, been a, uh, what do you call a, a headache for uh, the CIA because here we are with a young president who was pushing the limits of uh, secrecy, which he complained about. And uh, when you, uh, you're working with... Uh, a subject that's uh, considered a national security issue. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any bounds of which uh, people in the in the top of the uh, government will go to. Uh, I mean, uh, I remember the the famous case of the Rosenbergs during the fifties when hmm. the information on the nuclear uh, the atom bomb was brought to uh, the Soviets. They were they were executed for espionage, right? And that, that, I mean that, that that just goes to show you how that important used to happen. that used <laughs> to happen. Now now you can get away with anything, and it's amazing. But um, th this subject is still classified top secret, and uh, the reason I decided to do this uh, podcast is because I, I was so tired of just uh, trying to talk to people and in, uh, in in a lecture and saying that this information, uh, to the best of my knowledge, and I've spent uh, many, many decades uh, double-checking and triple-checking uh, stories that uh, seem to uh, indicate that the truth was being told, and then there was a, a flip side to it where people were being told a, a BS story. And uh, uh, I've, uh, I'm, I'm happy with the uh, results of... Uh, the studying that I've done on the subject because uh, 
uh, I know for sure that the the games that were being played against us. I mean, uh, secrecy is a is a chilling thing because it involves propaganda, disinformation, lies, confusion, and and it you know it what it, what the re, the end result of all that secrecy and hiding uh, creates mistrust and. Uh, that's the the one thing that we we seem to have today in in our uh, American lives. We we don't trust the information that we're hearing, and uh, that's that's terrible. Well, I got something on that. If, we, if you want to switch to a current event, yeah, I have some <laughs> I have some amazing information. My my partner has come up with, and uh, it's it's relatively uh, this on is the, a few days old. Few days um, old, and uh, <clears throat> this is um. Actually, the hill. And this involves some of those photos from those Navy pilots. Well, that's what they're talking about. It's John Greenwald Jr., who you know is very mm-hmm. reputable, mm-hmm. Um, and he's on um, the. I guess it's it was on the hill on their mm-hmm. at least a video uh, on their video channel, but um, he's commenting about. Uh, a freedom of information request that he made recently um, because the report they put out to the government recently with those, you know, those two couple of videos of UFOs Mm -hmm. and the air force, you know, those clips that they released from the air force. The ones that we use in our podcast. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Um, He's commenting on the fact that the, I believe Congress was briefed, at the same time, it got a different document. So that's what he did the Freedom of Information request on. So that document was very, very redacted. Mm-hmm. But there were some uh, interesting findings, and that's what this is about. So check it out. ...by U.S. servicemen... Well, let me try that again. ...were of extraterrestrial origin. But new information has been revealed after BlackVault.com creator John Greenwald Jr., obtained a redacted version of the classified report, and he joins us now to discuss. Welcome. I appreciate it. It's good to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for joining us. So tell us, what is the new information uh, that was redacted? What what does it reveal? Sure. So we know when that report came out to us, the general public, uh, Congress was given a report themselves in a classified setting. The unknown was exactly what it was going to entail. So I filed a case the next morning after we got the public version to get that released. It took until now to actually get it released, heavily redacted, but it does uh, offer a little bit of a glimpse into what Congress saw in a classified setting and how the UFO phenomena is not easily explainable. Even though the public report told us that, it goes into greater detail about uh, various military pilots encountering UAPs, exhibiting technology that we don't have, uh, a identification that we can't peg. Uh, This phenomena, whatever it is, is definitely real and it's plaguing military pilots. And and this new document released, which again was given to Congress in that classified setting, gives more of a glimpse of what really is there uh, when it comes to the phenomena and how they can't explain it. And what are are the best best explanations and how would you rank them and you know kind of and how do those explanations change based on this new information 
Sure. What's interesting is when you talk about the explanation, skeptics, debunkers, if you want to call them that, come out and say, well, it could be classified technology or drones or stuff like that. What's interesting about this is they investigated 144 cases and they could not put uh, 143 of them in any category that they came up with. They were only able to explain one, which was a balloon. The other explanations they said were potentially classified systems from our own military or a foreign adversary, but they weren't able to identify any of the cases they investigated into those categories. So even though those mundane explanations exist, and, and I think any investigator would acknowledge that, what's interesting is with the resources of the U.S. military, they couldn't, they couldn't put them in those categories. So you, you, you have those possible explanations, but the military wasn't able to de definitively say these fit into a classified platform or foreign adversary drone technology, because you can admit that without blowing any classified secrets, yet they weren't able to do it. So it's a short list of what's left. I mean, the general public wants to know, hey, is this alien? Well, of course, you're not going to see that in the report, nor do you. Uh, but they didn't rule it out. And they said that last year. And this report solidifies that, that, you know, that's that's on the short list of possible explanations. Travis. Thanks, John. I wanted to ask you about this new UAP office that was created by Deputy Secretary Hicks and announced last week. Um, the Aerial Object Identification and Management Synchronization Group. Um, what was there well, any... Was there, is there, it's a mouthful. Was there any coordination with uh, lawmakers on Capitol Hill? They're proposing uh, related legislation like uh, Representative Gallego and Senator Gillibrand. And uh, secondly, some former Pentagon officials who had worked on this issue, uh, Chris Mellon and Lou Elizondo, have said that this is an effort for the Pentagon to be less transparent on UAPs. And I was just wondering if you, if you had any response to that. On, on the first one, um, I can't I'm, I can't speak to pending legislation. Obviously, I'd refer to those members, but uh, but we absolutely kept members of Congress informed um, as we uh, as we fashioned this this group together and and announced it um and it is to your second question it is really designed to help us better coordinate the reporting processes um the actual reports themselves and the analysis of those reports so that um it, rather than uh getting them sort of piecemeal and ad hoc as we've been getting them from uh, from the from the services, um, th this is a way to coordinate the the input so that we can. Uh, there's a common uh, set of parameters. Hey, 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 Rob, uh, Rob, 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 are you following this at all? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm uh, noticing. Um, I can't get an the answer. Government is is ma ma more, more, more transparent. Let's check it out. <laughs> Let's get the rest. Of it. <laughs> For how to report them and to an analyze them and, and then to assess what we've got and not all uh, reports are going to manifest themselves in something that we consider a national security threat um, so this is a chance for us to to be a, a much more organized in the way we process these reports um, and as we have we will certainly continue to be as transparent as we can about uh, these phenomena and, uh, and and the impact that they may or may not be having uh, on our ability to operate. Yeah, there's that, which obviously, right, that would be exciting. That's what people want to hear, you know, evidence found, et cetera. Uh, so that's one thing. Uh, but, you know, the other, the, in many ways, the more legitimate thing, I think the lack of transparency around these issues, the government, you know, just 
not sharing uh, what it what it knows. You know, is this you know more evidence that no matter how pressed or how pushed they are, they're they're still not going to take this question serious. Take the question of telling the public what they do know seriously. Well, absolutely. And this document, although discouraging that it is heavily redacted, absolutely solidifies the secrecy of, uh, around this phenomena, whatever it is. It likely has multiple explanations, and ironically, the report reflects that as well. But it likely has multiple explanations. Uh, but the bottom line is, is, is the military and the U.S. government has a secret here, and they don't want to tell the general public about it. And you look at all these redactions, and again, although discouraging, that in itself tells a story. And when you really sit down and, and digest the document, some may theorize, oh, this is just about our classified system platforms that, that detected whatever these craft are. And you can see in certain areas, yes, that is likely the explanation for the redactions. Hmm. But when you really look at some of the other areas, they don't want to tell you the capabilities of what they, these UAP are, these mysterious unknown craft. And the explanation to, to that would not be classified, in my opinion. Uh, we know our systems can detect speeds, can detect altitudes. Uh, so that's, that's not classified. They won't tell you where UAPs are flying or how fast. I don't think that that should be classified, yet it is. Another key section is what they look like. Uh, they, they, they label it common shapes, and then another area is uncommon shapes. That's entirely redacted as well. They won't even tell you the visual representation of what these craft look like. So let's say we are dealing with a drone type of technology. Well, there's only so many shapes a drone can be. And is that in itself, without any identifying information on a, on a diagram or a picture, uh, without any identifying information, is that classified? My answer would be no. Yet they won't tell you a single visual observation on what shape these are. So it, again, it, it really solidifies the secrecy behind what these UAP really are. And outside of this document, do, do we have a sense or do you have a guess about what they mean by common shapes? Well, I, I, I take that as the 144 reports that they investigated or incidents that they investigated. There was a common trait between a lot of them that were within the shape. Uh, so that's how I that's how I read that. That's how mm -hmm. I define that at this point. But no, again, no, of course, it's all yeah. it's but all no sense of what that is. No sense what it is. Right. Uh, and, and that begs the question: Why? Why is simply a shape of a vehicle a a threat to national security? If they tell the general public, what could that reveal? Mm -hmm. And and for me, I don't have an answer to that. But it's an intriguing it's an intriguing question because it really then uh, not to beat the dead horse, but it solidifies the secrecy behind something that for decades the U.S. military and government denied really even existed. Now they admit it exists. They admit they're investigating it, but they won't tell you a darn thing about it. And that's what keeps me kind of going and, and pushing for answers. All right. Boy, that guy really said it well. That's that's uh, John Greenwald Jr. Yeah, I have his book. I have his book, and uh, it was written very well. It, it, it dealt with all his uh, interactions with the uh, the Blue Book files and uh, mm -hmm. the Freedom of Information Act that he uh, were was trying to get information out of, and uh, he was getting uh, all these blacked out, uh, redacted uh, as they call it. Yeah, I mean, it gets back to the point of uh, controlling the narrative. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Greenwald's been involved in the subject for for a long time. He's done some really good uh, research, and uh, he he states uh, he states uh, what he has found out, and uh, I'm uh, I'm a hundred percent right behind him. Um, the subject is very complicated to uh, understand, and uh, the uh, the fact that you must realize that. The best way to, to really comprehend the complexity of, of how this subject is top secret, it goes all the way back to the beginning. And uh, in conjunction with the, the people that got involved in, in, this, uh, in this Majestic 12 group, those very people, some of them, if not most of them, were involved with the Operation Manhattan Project. And uh, it's 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 it brings me to uh, another episode that we're gonna we're gonna do uh, next week or the week after, which is the uh, the story of the connection between UFOs and nuclear power, and why they are interested in this uh, this power that we have uh, unleashed. Well, there's an, uh, an interesting thing um, when it comes to things being put off into the atmosphere. Uh, I have a, another current event. Mm -hmm. um, I was just checking in on the, you know, the web, the James Webb Space Telescope. And NASA, this is from um, space.com. This is a new release, uh, right? Yeah, this is just uh, 14 hours ago, so it's today. Nassau's new James Webb Space Telescope will be able to sniff out methane. Here's how to tell if it's a sign of life. Researchers lay out a framework explaining how methane could be a biosignature rather than a false alarm. The first whiff that humans catch of life beyond Earth might be methane. Really, I thought it was going to be like, um, I don't know, I thought maybe either Virgin or Amazon would have their own uh, deodorant or something. For outer oh. space. Anyway, the first, <laughs> uh, the first whiff that humans catch of life beyond Earth might be methane, but scientists will need to tread carefully before declaring a discovery based on the chemical. If an exoplanet's atmosphere contains methane, the chemical could be a sign of life uh, as long as planetary conditions meet certain criteria. Researchers from the University of California, Santa Cruz, have now established a framework for those conditions to guide scientists evaluating alien worlds. We need to get one of those on the show. Any scientists evaluating alien worlds, please uh, check in with us after the show. The analysis is well-timed since NASA has recently launched... NASA. 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 I'm saying that uh, I put a little... We long, live in Nassau County. Yeah. On it. Yeah. <laughs> NASA. NASA's uh, recently launched James Webb Space Telescope should be able to detect atmospheric methane at certain alien worlds. In the case of a small rocky planet orbiting a star like a sun, like our sun, the researchers found that atmospheric methane is more likely to be a biosignature, a sign that indicates past or present life, if the planet meets three conditions. If there is also atmospheric carbon dioxide, if the atmosphere has more methane than carbon monoxide, and if the planet is not water rich. All right. Well, one it says one molecule is not going to give you the answer. You have to take into account the planet's full context. But um, believe it or not, we're not just looking into outer space. We're also sniffing. 
Well, it's the amino acids that are contained in meteorites and uh, other other uh, rocks that are floating in outer space. Uh, we've done analysis on some of these uh, rocks and uh, things that have uh, been ex- uh, examined under microscopes that we have now on Earth show that these uh, microorganisms can actually survive in outer space and travel from who knows where and come through our atmosphere and just land in the uh, the oceans or in the planets and th- these these are formations of how life uh, was sent to earth according to the uh, the two scientists who developed the dna in the, the 50s uh, mm-hmm. grick i think his name was click or crick he uh, <clears throat> He developed this theory of uh, transpermia. Uh, Did some people have a theory that that may have come from outer space? Came from like, yeah, well, the theory, the, yeah, the or, theory or, of wasn't how that, uh, some wasn't there signi- wasn't there insignias of that on some of the items that were collected by the men in black? <laughs> <laughs> well, that uh, would just be rumor, of course. Yeah, that goes speculation. We'll ask Will Smith. We'll, we'll find out. Yeah, he, he may know. But the, uh, the if you look uh, in slow motion, he dropped something in Chris Rock's pocket right when he was slapping. Yeah, with he the did other it hand quickly. So it he was had, a great diversion, it's a quick test. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. There was something more to it for sure. The uh, this transpermia uh, that was uh, speculated by uh, I think his name was Frick, the last name. He he received the Nobel Prize for his work on uh, DNA, the molecule, but. Uh, he also wrote a book on uh, transpermia and uh, directed t- transpermia, he called it. And this is the uh, uh, his speculation on how uh, life uh, developed on Earth. It, it doesn't... Um, Francis Crick. Francis Crick, that's yeah. right. He, uh, he was a very bright individual and... Uh, the knowledge that uh, he uh, explained in his theory is quite interesting because uh, the the cosmos does have rocks flying around in it that do contain microorganisms that uh, can survive in outer space. And uh, these uh, rock collections that uh, scientists have done over the years have uh, brought back, I think the moon rocks that, that were brought back uh, showed the evidence of uh, life in them. And those those rocks were uh, considered uh, very expensive. I think those rocks were brought into the uh, laboratories for uh, not evaluation. To be, not to be confused with the mood rings. Right? No, oh, no those, are all, those were all moody. And the pet rocks that came out. Yeah, those, those didn't work too those well. Those are the cheap cheap cousins yeah these rocks were <laughs> these rocks really rocked yeah man <laughs> what gave rock a purpose um well it's definitely um you know it was such an interesting time in the government though what, what um you didn't talk really about how forestall i mean we well you talked a little bit about how he died or did well it, it, it i didn't want to get into too much of the detail because it, you really need to to look at it, how, how it's written in the uh, biography on, on the uh, internet. 
you can read the whole detailed story in two versions, the White House version and the conspiracy version. And I, I tend to uh, buy the conspiracy theory more than I do the White House version because of uh, the way that the, uh, the government seems to work on, on certain topics such as this. Uh, whenever it's brought up at a press corps and the press... Uh, you're on your own. You, the answers are own. always like, I'll circle back and I'll get back to you. Or it's, uh, I can neither confirm nor deny the existence of extraterrestrial. Well, I love those answers. They came the out White of White House spokesman, that, that was kind of, that was, the, you know, that's just a perfect, uh, 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 well, it's, I'm going to describe that we are being transparent with the process of transparency. Yeah. And by being transparent, we plan on arriving at a more transparent, place than we started and increasing and improving the process of getting this information to you. But we still can't tell you what we know because it might scare you. It's like, you know, man, he ain't said shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's kind of under the, the old adage of uh, like your parents tell you, don't put your fingers in the, in the flame at the fire on the stove. It's for your own good, you know, uh, and this is the the government's position. They they think that by withholding this this public uh, uh, information from us, the reality that that we're being observed by uh, people from another galaxy. I mean, this is quite extraordinary, and that's why I just it, thought they were weird haircuts, man. But I'm, now I'm starting to think twice when I see people. Yeah, they just stuff. they just have the best haircuts. They just don't have to worry <laughs> about. It. They just, I always chalked it up as just you know. They're all individuality. The knowledge that the subject is legitimate actually is quite uh, hard to deal with because uh, it, it does captivate you. Uh, I, I notice this when I give the Majestic 12 paper papers to friends of mine who show an interest in it. And uh, they were always skeptical, uh, skeptical, uh, skeptical, <laughs> skeptical. And I, 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 when I see that skepticism, I say, "Well, here I got something for you. Maybe this will make the hair on your your head grow." You know, and and then they give it back to me in a day or two, and they say, uh, "Yeah, yeah, that's interesting." You know, and I and I and when when they say that, how I say, you, "But how do you know it's true?" Yeah, how do you know that that's not made up? And right. I say, "Well, if you if you knew what I've known and and got to uh, find out over the years, uh, th this this is the real deal, and uh, you, you can talk all you want and, and put it down, but I know from a lot of experience in this subject that this this document." fits everything to a T and, and whoever, uh, if it was uh, fake, the person knew exactly everything about this subject and, and the way to carry on the secrecy. And, uh, it, it's quite amazing how, uh, I've done a lot of work on trying to find out who leaked this document, because that is a real puzzler. And I've, I've, I've made a checklist of people who I think may have uh, held these documents until the right moment and then slipped them to some of the investigators during a lecture mm -hmm. uh, because the, 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 this document 
uh, was in a roll of film, microfilm, and it was processed, and uh, it, it became uh, of great interest to all the people in this field of uh, ufology, as I call it. And uh, one of the people who took a, a great interest in it was uh, Stanton Friedman, who did amazing background checks on the individuals in this uh, document. And uh, it's led to a lot of windows to be opened. And one of the windows uh, involves the, uh, the John F. Kennedy assassination and how it fits in to this uh, astounding story of aliens. And um, although it's been labeled a conspiracy, uh, which already puts it in the loony category, I've paid a lot of attention to it in that uh, information keeps pointing to it. And uh, when, when a person such as John Kennedy, who had a tremendous fascination with a very famous woman in Hollywood, as we all know, was Marilyn Monroe, um, that uh, interest that he had in her became uh, a problem because he was doing something that uh, he shouldn't be doing, number one, because he was a married man. Telling secrets. But the other thing is that he may have actually released information to her during uh, one of their uh, intimate moments. Sessions. We'll call them sessions. And these sessions were monitored because uh, of his um, continuation with the uh, relationship. So uh, her, her, her dwellings were, were being uh, monitored by either the FBI or other other individuals and you got to figure if, if someone like Forrestal who was one of the founding members of the MJ 12 can be paranoid mm -hmm. welcomed to an early exit I'll mm -hmm. put it that way uh, because of his persistence on on announcing this to the American public and I the mean, it's consensus was that someone that has that much honor bestowed upon them from the air Force or the well the aircraft carrier was named after him, you know, by the Air Force. Um, and then suddenly he's jumping off a, out of a window of the 13th floor, lucky number 13. <laughs> and and to think that maybe a president could be in a similar situation. I mean, this guy was pretty high up. He was Secretary of Defense. It happened. It allegedly happened to him, mm -hmm. theoretically. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a speculation, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll leave it to that, but... The, the speculation is quite interesting because of the, uh, the data that points to him being a, uh, a national security uh, threat in that he was not happy with keeping this information from the public. Yeah, neither are we. <laughs> Neither am I. And, uh, you know, I, I, I kept, uh, you know, telling myself uh, years ago that uh, – you know how 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 important is this subject? Maybe it's not really that important, but uh, the more I, I study this subject and read about it, it, it could very well be controlling our very government today. What we call today the deep state could actually be the Majestic Twelve's control over policy, 
there's a statement in one of the books I have that this this subject actually stepped out of the Constitution. And cr- that's why the National Security Act was formed to mm. be a sort of like a subsection of the Constitution. That's kind of what they say about the Federal Reserve, right? In, mm-hmm. in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's lots of, uh, that's what makes this topic so fun. Oh, yeah. There's so <laughs> many aspects to it. Mm-hmm. But one thing we can all agree on, just like Greenwall says and maintains, and, you know, thanks to him and and anyone who puts the time and energy to do Freedom of Information Acts, because you never know. Sometimes they actually cough up things by mistake, and you know that that's like finding the uh, going to the garage sale and finding that you know ten thousand dollar item that you see on antique. Well, well uh, as <laughs> as a point to be made during the reviewing of the legitimacy of the majestic twelve documents. Stanton Friedman, in his quest of going to archives of presidents and people that were connected to this uh, group, he uncovered in a uh, a file of records uh, what they what he's been titled uh, what they titled the Cutler Twining Memo, hmm. and what this is is a memo written by the uh, the, the uh, Cutler, which was the uh, the president's press, uh, not the press secretary. He was the uh, he was he was very important to the president. I have his mm-hmm. uh, title or in his another spot. Yeah, and and he made a memo to General Twining to change the date of a meeting, which was called the S S P M J twelve meeting, hmm. and it was state it was it was set up to be. Uh, changed, but then the meeting was rearranged to uh, occur at the same time that originally was set, and his assurance at that meeting was assumed, and this is what's said in this Cutler Twining memo. Hmm. It was probably overlooked during clearance, because a lot of these things that were that passed by uh, the government have to be cleared before mm-hmm. they're released into well, the yeah. records, you know? Yeah. And sometimes they're bypassed because it's gotta they make it by the black pen. Right? Uh, because well. if it's if it's so vague, it could be it could be missed because the way it's set up, it doesn't reveal anything. Because the the very fact that MJ twelve was not known to exist prior to that leaked document, mm-hmm. when when that Cutler Twining memo was put into the records uh, files. The person that was doing the, uh, he didn't have the same level to know, his clearance level was not the same uh, level to know that, that that thing was part of MJ-12 and should not be included mm-hmm. in that file. Mm-hmm. It's it, it got by somebody. It got I mean, by. It doesn't and, happen that often. No, and, and it's very rare. So when those mm-hmm. things occur, like the burn memo. That's today, why we keep going back to these old things. <laughs> the burn memo suggests that that during the CIA's uh, analysis of what to do about Kennedy, there's a mention in this burn memo that uses Kennedy's Secret Service name, which was Lancer, mm-hmm. because of his association with Camelot. And remember that whole thing that mm. this is the age of Camelot with, mm-hmm. with his wife and him. His, his nickname was Lancer for the Secret Service, and it's mentioned in this memo the word wet. Hmm. 
And the word wet was developed by the KGB to signify assassination. So mm. this whole setup in this burn memo shows that because he was asking too many questions on the MJ-12, uh, he was trying to break up the, the control of the CIA and, the, and, the, and this knowledge about these aliens being... Aliens? I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm feeling dry behind the ears. And, uh, <laughs> we better go before we get in any more trouble. Yeah, they may come down and take <laughs> us away. <laughs> we'll get you next week. But uh, right, everybody, we'll be back Tuesdays at six thirty. Thank you. This is this is Bob Bria, our resident, and this and this is Rob Nolfi. <laughs> I'm here just to keep things moving along, guys. I'm an inquiring mind, and I want to know the truth. That's okay, Ryan, we'll tell you. <laughs> Watch it. I might slap you across the face like I love you, man. <laughs> Take care, people. We'll see you next week, Tuesdays at 6.30 in the live chat room in Podbean on most formats by 8 p.m. We're running a little late tonight, but hey, it was worth it. We'll see you guys next week. We'll do it all over again. <laughs>